You are listening to Parenting Our Future with certified parent coach Robin McMahon, author of The Yelling Cure and founder of Parenting for Connection. My podcast is all about providing you with the tools and solutions you need in your parenting so you can create the family you always wanted. For more information on my book and other resources, check out yellingcurebook.com. And if you like my show, then I want to tell you about a hilarious parenting podcast called What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. It's hosted by Amy and Margaret, who are both comedians and moms of three. But that's where the similarities end, because Margaret is laid back to the max, and Amy loves making lists and planning ahead. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, Amy and Margaret wrestle with a common parenting issue using research, lively debate, and tons of humor. So if you're stuck at home right now with your kids, this is the perfect escape. Check out What Fresh Hell, Laughing in the Face of Motherhood, wherever you listen to podcasts or at whatfreshhellpodcast.com. Hey, everybody. It's Robin here. Welcome to Parenting Our Future. In this episode, I have invited a special guest. Her name is Lara Rab, and she is a sleep consultant. And oh, boy, do we have lots of questions for her. You know, this is one of the things that I get asked a lot. When, when I talk to my clients, there is almost inevitably a question about sleep. My child not sleeping, getting up too many times. I have to lay with my child before we uh, before I I can get him to sleep. So, Lara, Lara, thank you for being here. And I just want to tell everybody a little bit about you first. Uh, so, you're the founder of Heavy Eyes Happy Heart Sleep Consulting. I love that name. Um, and you're passionate about helping tired families make attachment-focused sleep decisions that ultimately lead to more rest. Now, you have a blog on your site where you share helpful hints, tried and true techniques, and peaceful parenting advice for those difficult moments. And you live in Greater Vancouver, so you and I uh, don't live too far from each other, and you live with your partner and your two young children. And you're also currently pursuing a master's degree in counseling psychology to better serve your community. So welcome, Lara. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Awesome. Excited to chat about sleep. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to make me want to have a nap after this. <laughs> Hey, yeah, if you can score a nap, go for it. <laughs> yeah, that is like my my number one thing to do is have a nap. Like and sometimes I'm just like, nope, I'm out. I'm going up, going to have a quick nap or not quick nap. <laughs> yeah, I know. No, for me, yeah, I've never been much of a napper. I'm like, if I fall asleep, I'm going to wake up pretty grumpy, but <clears throat> I do like the idea of it sometimes. <laughs> so why are you, why this work? What brought you to being asleep? consultants? Yeah, well, it was really um, my kids, I would say. So I started my company when my oldest child was one, which I actually think is quite hilarious now, because as if I knew anything about anything when my child was one, but I had a pretty transformative year, um, that first year of motherhood with regards to his sleep. So um, I was really struggling and I found that I was getting so much conflicting advice, you know, from friends and family as to what to do about um, the multiple night wakings that he was having. 
And in the end, uh, well, not in the end, because, you know, the Sega continues, but around the six and a half month mark, I hired a sleep consultant to work with my family. And it really helped me. It helped me to have somebody listen and hear about what I was going through. And I felt like they really cared for me. Um, they were more experienced in motherhood. And it just felt good to have somebody holding my hand. Um, but at the end of the day, I will say that after the dust settled, I wasn't 100% sure that um, the decisions I'd made in that time of desperation were the best necessarily for my family and for our lifelong attachment. And so I went out kind of in pursuit of like, what else is out there? Um, how else could I have potentially solved this problem now that it's solved? <laughs> that wasn't, you know, cried out sleep training or really strict uh, scheduling, controlled crying, that kind of thing. And so I found um, a sleep consulting course. Uh, I was a teacher at the time. Education came naturally to me. So I just dove into sleep education and learning more. And the business was was kind of born out of that, just helping helping families hopefully make decisions regarding their child's sleep that are more in alignment with their own personal philosophy. So okay. are you saying that the, the sleep consultant that you hired didn't really fit exactly into your values of attachment parenting? Is that is that what you're saying? And so you went to sleep. Yeah, I would say I don't necessarily like would wouldn't necessarily refer to myself as an attachment parent, but definitely someone who's very focused on creating secure attachments with my children. Um, and, you know, sometimes people think of those as one in the same. And to me, they're, they're different. But um, yeah, so I just, I think I was upset that I wasn't presented with a few different options in terms of how to solve the challenges that I was having. Um, and yeah, exactly. I just didn't feel like it was quite in alignment with my values or that I was even asked about my values with regards to parenting long term. And so I think what, what I'm hearing you say, too, is, you know, look, there's lots of different ways that um, people, you know, through through many years have have said to how you need to sleep train your child. Right. Cry it out. Right. The Ferber method, the all, all those different things. Right. Or, you know, mm -hmm. co-sleeping. And and so there's there's lots of different ways to get to the end result, which is your baby sleeping through the night, your child sleeping through the night. Um, and for you, this is about finding your doing it through the values that you see for your family and for you as a parent. For sure. Yeah. I think that the window of time that, you know, we're in a relationship with our children for a lifetime and the window of time that they don't sleep well for is actually, you know, just a blip on the timeline of their life. But when you're in that sleep deprived moment in time, you're like, it feels like it's your everything. And it's the thing that's causing you the most stress and you want to get out of it as quickly as possible. But, you know, I think that we as parents want to look at that long term relationship piece um, and, um, and sleep being a part of that. So yeah, yeah I, I think that's true. You know, when I when I first became a mom, it was it was pretty much my number one focus because um, I mm -hmm. realized how how much me not sleeping um, really changed me and made me feel 
panicky, manic almost, like um, so tired, so freaked out I wouldn't get enough sleep, so scared of the nighttime. I felt alone at night. I felt so many different things and it was really hard. And, and luckily we we did, uh, we you know, because we focused on it, we were able to really put in a really strong routine to make sure there was good sleep. And, and my oldest, mm-hmm. um, he needs his sleep. And I was able to recognize that early on. The downside is, is that we were so focused on sleep that we didn't go anywhere or do anything because of his bedtime, right? And so mm-hmm. it did create some disconnection between us and our friends and family, but we, it was survival. It was survival. So um, so I totally can relate to that struggle and wanting it to be over. And I'll tell you what, when you're awake almost, you know, 24 hours a day, um, it does feel like it is forever, but you're right. On the grand scheme of things, it's just a little blip in time. Um, so tell me... <laughs> biggest issue that you see um that like what do people come to you for what is the biggest question mm-hmm. I would say the thing that people most come to me for is uh night night wakings so their children waking up uh frequently throughout the night um I have once worked with a family whose baby I kid you not woke up 19 times per night she was awake every half an hour <laughs> so you know night wakings I think are the thing that people struggle with the most um, in, you know, getting their children back to sleep and um, having them sleep through the night um, is, is what they're, what they're most after. Yeah. Okay. Um, Is there a mistake parents make? Is there like the number one thing that parents make a mistake uh, on with this? Um, I, I think the thing that I see people struggle with the most is, um, overwhelming themselves actually with information, uh, and not trusting their gut, not trusting their instinct. Like, I think that most people, they can, you know, it's hard when you're in the forest, like, you know, to see the forest through the trees, like it's hard to actually step out of the situation and look at it objectively. But I think that if you have some help with that, usually you kind of know what your baby needs or you instinctively know what you're doing that is perhaps getting in the way of them being able to sleep well. Um, And I, I think that's the number one challenge that I that I really see or the mistake. I mean, I wouldn't call it a mistake. I think every parent is really just trying to do the best that they can with the tools that they have at, at any given time. But certainly, you know, being overwhelmed by information, there's just a lot out there. Um, we have the internet at our fingertips, which allows us access to so much information and it can be extremely overwhelming. And then not being able to kind of listen to their own heart at the center um, of that uh, right. is probably the biggest challenge or biggest mistake I see. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I, I can I can tell you for sure that there is no way I could tap into the natural instincts. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure I had no natural instincts when I first became a mom. I was so overwhelmed. I was so tired. Um, mm-hmm. And my baby was not sleeping. I mean, we, you know, it's the every four hours, uh, you know, when they're first little and he would cry for the solid four hours. We were just so mm-hmm. tired. And I thought it was a lie when people said their kids slept through the night. I'm like, no, they don't. You're totally lying just to make me feel bad. <laughs> well, hard. yeah. I mean, most most babies don't. Like what the data suggests is like only 16% of six-month-olds sleep through the night. Oh, right? my gosh. 
Yeah. So, you know, people do lie a lot about how their children sleep because I think that which shows just, a, you know, a larger issue within our culture and our society. It's like we feel like we have to have it all together. Um, but yeah, children, I mean, they there's there's reasons why they don't sleep well. You know, yeah. ultimately they're born they're born they rely 100% on their adult caregivers to soothe them from the outside and to provide attuned care. So, you know, they do wake up for a variety of reasons, physical and emotional, overnight. Mm. Tell, tell me more about that. So why are they waking up? So so we're talking about babies right now. Um, mm-hmm. And then I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions that are sort of rapid fire from my own community, just to, just with, with typical situations that I hear all the time. So if you can mm-hmm. kind of start there and then I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions to, to really get your, to really get some solutions out there for, for the people. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I think that the biggest, the biggest myth um, in parenting or in sleep, sleep parenting, I should say, is that, you know, if your children, all of their physical needs are met, then they're going to sleep through the night. Um, you know, and I'm talking about sleeping through the night, like 10 and a half to 12 hours kind of kind of ordeal. Um, some people say that sleeping through the night is actually just a five or six hour stretch. And depending on the age of your baby, that could very well be true. Um, but, you know, our kids don't just wake up for physical needs to be met. They have emotional needs to be met as well. And I think a lot of the struggles that parents experience are that they're expecting their young children to sleep like adults do but you know when we wake up at night if we have a physical need like you know we're too hot or we're too cold or we're a little bit thirsty we need to use the bathroom we can take care of all of those things Um, and you know we don't need someone to come help us with that if we're able-bodied individuals Um, whereas our our babies and our toddlers and our preschoolers they really rely on that kind of outside outside help um and then there's the emotional needs like if you have you know you know if you have a bad dream in the middle of the night you're going to be like okay you know you're going to get yourself into your own window of tolerance by doing some you know sensory stuff to calm yourself down or you might reach out to your partner and be like oh I'm gonna like hug my partner tighter because I just had a bad dream right so our babies and toddlers and preschoolers they experience all of that as well but they can't they don't necessarily have the words to communicate that um Mm -hmm. their tears communicate that and so you know when I work with families it's from a holistic perspective looking at Well, what are all the physical needs? Because let's try to meet as many of those as possible. And then what emotional needs does it seem like your child is communicating in the middle of the night? Do they need to actually fill their bucket with you more before they transition to sleep in order to be able to sleep through the night without you? Do they actually need more of you during the day? Sometimes that's the case. Um, So, yeah, there's, I mean, there's many different reasons. Sometimes it is a habitual wake up. You know, if we with with baby well I've worked with a family once a toddler um and sometimes people really have just no idea because they can't see the forest through the trees like I said but I once worked with a toddler whose family had um weaned him off breastfeeding through the middle of the night by giving uh those like squeezy fruit pouches mm-hmm. yeah. the ones <laughs> um and and then he was waking up hungry for that like he was having a 400 calorie snack or 100 calorie snack four times a night right so you know our kids will get 
their calories their calorie needs met in a 24-hour clock. And so if a big portion of that is happening overnight, there's a physical need we can definitely take care of um, in the daytime hours instead. Right. So, yeah. Okay, so that's that's really interesting. So, um, so what I heard you say is that parents, you know, mistakenly, uh, and, and I wouldn't have known this either, that our kids don't just have physical needs, they have emotional needs. And those physical needs can be anything from needing a diaper change to being hungry, but it can also be too hot, um, too cold, you know, something that they just can't help themselves with. And then there are emotional needs where they could have a nightmare. Maybe they're missing mom and dad. Maybe they're, um, yeah, scared, scared, whatever. Yeah. And so that those, those, um, those needs aren't getting met. And so physical needs, you know, right. Like you say, so if, if it's food, maybe are you saying to make sure that the, um, that the 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 physical need with with nutrition with food it, we make sure that it happens more throughout the day so does that mean a snack at night like what does that mean to get rid of that yeah so i think like if you it depends really like i mean i'm used to speaking to families like with with young babies through to like you know 5 year olds right so in young infants, they need to eat at night. You know, their tummies are just too small. They can't go 11 to 12 hours without being fed. Um, arguably, like most infants from six to nine months will have one to two overnight feedings of milk of some kind. And then from nine to 12 months, they're usually down to one or none. Um, but, you know, sometimes... Uh, parents of toddlers and preschoolers are continuing to feed their children overnight. So let's take, for example, um, a two-year-old who is uh, fed two bottles overnight. Um, You know, do they need to have those two bottles overnight anymore? Is their tummy, you know, so small that it needs to get, you know, 500 mils (laughs) of of formula or milk overnight? Um, No. But also, we eat where we expect to eat. So if I woke right. up and I had a granola bar every night at 1 in the morning, I would start to wake up at 12.55 in anticipation of the hunger that I feel to have that granola bar, right? And so that's, that's what I mean is, like, how can we shift things? So for some families, that might mean... I'm starting to decrease the amount of what they're feeding through the middle of the night so that their child can start to catch up on that through the day. So, um, you know, with formula fed kiddos, it's easier to see sometimes that like if you eliminate some of that milk overnight, they naturally just just start to eat more over the span of the day. Right. Um, And there are some kids that often people think like, okay, I'm just going to feed them more during the day and then they'll eat less at night. But I find that that's just not really how it works. It needs to be kind of eliminated slowly overnight instead so that they can catch up the next day. So, yeah, looking at, you know, making sure that you are meeting the nutritional needs, that's important for sure. Okay. Yeah, that's 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 really good. That's really good. Uh, and I think that's really helpful, right? So just doing it in a small way, like it's a long game, not like I can't just turn a switch, right? Because it doesn't work that way. Physically, it doesn't work that way. Um, so... 
so let me so you you mentioned something and I just want to just quickly see it, it, what the answer is what does sleeping through the night mean is it five mm-hmm. hours of solid sleep or is that in itself undefinable yeah I mean that's a good question like most of us like most adults sleep in three to four hour stretches and we put two of those together to create our six to eight hour nighttime sleep um, and so, you know, if your child is sleeping in four hour stretches, that's pretty realistic, honestly, mm-hmm. like it, it might not feel good <laughs> to you. Um, but a lot of the families that I work with, that's, that's kind of what they're, they're seeking, um, especially when they first start with a sleep coaching process, you know, they would be happy to see three to five hours of consolidated nighttime sleep um, and, you know, putting those hours back to back, of course, to create a 10 and a half to 12 hour nighttime sleep. Um, most of the families that I work with, they can see their child sleep through the night 10 and a half to 12 hours. Um, but we're going to go through quite a process to get there. It usually takes families, um, I would say, two to six weeks to transition from waking hourly or every two hours overnight to sleeping through, you know, a 10 and a half to 12 hours because we're looking holistically at those physical needs and the emotional needs as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes, you know, our kids, they, they are not able to self-regulate. That Mm -hmm. is something that takes years to develop until the prefrontal cortex is fully developed. They can't, you know, self-regulate. And so there are going to be times where, our kids just need us in the middle of the night and we can try our best to take care of as many of those, those needs as we can, but there will be times where they just need more help. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that that really helps to have more compassion, you know, and more empathy for your child because it's like, you know what, you you can't self-regulate. That's really the fact of it, right? And that prefrontal cortex doesn't start growing until the age of seven uh, and doesn't finish until we're about 25, right? So Hmm, that's a long time. And so, so yeah, they need us. um, And I have, you know, as much as we focus on sleep, I mean, it it has been, um, geez, it's been about 12 years where, you know, every night, almost every night somebody has joined me in my, in my bed, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and I personally, um, I can't get enough of cuddles and my, you know, I yeah. can't get enough of being physically close to my kids. So it's never bothered me where I know some parents absolutely can't handle that. Right. Like they yeah, don't like to totally touch. Not. They can't sleep. You know, my husband, they never go to his side. They always go to my <laughs> side. They know I'm like, Vroom. I'm just going to like take them in and like, and like, just like a vice grip on them. Um, but it, you know, but uh, I will say that it doesn't happen anymore. You know, the last Mm. time it happened wasn't maybe too, too long ago, but it, it really doesn't. So the other thing that I love to always say is like, it is temporary. It is temporary, but I really, really love hearing that. Yeah, there is an emotional and a physical need. So that's really great. I think, I think that's really going to resonate with, um, with, with listeners. So thank you. You are currently listening to the Parenting Our Future podcast. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon. If you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And please don't forget to subscribe. And I would be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating on iTunes. 
If you'd like to connect with me, all my details are in the show notes. And for a copy of my book, go to yellingcurebook.com. Now back to the show. Now, I've got some questions from my community that I want to throw at you. So there's a few here. So if you can, if, if there's a way to give us solutions that are sort of quick and, and easy, that would be great. I don't know if that's possible, if there's such a thing, but let's give it a try. So, um, so one of, one of my followers here says that, uh, they have a three-year-old who loves to stall, one more kiss, one more hug, one more book, etc. She is in a toddler bed and will run out of her room after me screaming, don't leave, <laughs> one more blanket, etc. I have started to sit outside the door so she can't run out, which sometimes cuts down on bed, which sometimes cuts down on the bedtime battle. Um, uh, but she also started to fight naps, which is a whole other issue. Okay. Well, let's just deal with the first one. So I'm going to tell you what I say to parents when, when it comes to this. Like nighttime really is a time of connection, right? And you, you mentioned it too. Like there are those emotional needs, right? And, and for mm-hmm. us to really just slow down a little bit at bedtime so we can really connect with our kids. And, you know, we're talking minutes. We're not talking hours of time with our kids, but it is quantity or sorry, it's, it's quality over quantity. Wait a second. It's quality mm-hmm. over quantity, right? So, so when you're really tuned into your kids, that fills their cup up a lot faster than if you're just like got one foot out the door already, right? And I know there's totally. stuff to do. we're tired, we're exhausted. There might be a glass of wine waiting for us. There might be a great show that we want to watch. I know, but we're talking minutes here. So that's what I always say to parents, like your child needs to connect with you there. What do you say for about sure. this? Um, I well, I hundred percent agree with you. Um, I see a child like this as uh, seeking proximity, so wanting to be close to their adult caregiver. Um, and you know the the separation from awake to asleep, like the transition that we make when we go from awake to asleep, it's a vulnerable transition of state um, for everybody. You know, like some adults really struggle to transition from awake to asleep and some children do as well. And um, so this child stalling to me, uh, well, one, we have to make sure that that our bedtime routine, yes, it hits on all of those things that this child is asking for. So one more story, one more song, one more time going pee, one more, whatever it, it might be, you know, all of that needs to be factored into the bedtime routine if it isn't already. Sometimes people are are skipping over things or they have one foot out the door um, and your child 100% knows when you have one foot out the door. They, they, <laughs> How do they know? <laughs> yeah, well, they are little detectives, that is for sure. They can, you know, they're they're regulated by your emotional regulation as well. So it's like, I know if you're not wholly, fully here with me. Um, and I also love with toddlers and preschoolers to really clearly communicate expectations. I find that families are not always doing this. So my kids are almost seven and almost four. If you come to my house, what you'll see outside their bedroom door is pictures that we've taken of them going through the steps of their bedtime routine. And it's taped right on the wall by our bathroom. And so we refer to it um, regularly. It's like, okay, now it's teeth brushing time. Now it's stories. Now it's songs. Um, And that helps us really move through the flow of the bedtime routine. Uh, and I mean, like 
our kids, you know, you know, when you've tried to work for a boss, but you don't know like what their expectations are of you. It's like, if they don't know, then they're not going to be able to meet your expectation. Um, and for whatever reason, this child is proximity seeking. So they're looking to, to be close to you for some reason. I would be more inclined to give them that proximity to sit literally right beside their bed. Um, if that's what they're asking for, because as soon as you meet that need, that need will go away. But the longer that you're forcing, you know, yourself in the opposite direction of that need to be met, then the longer it's going to continue for, um, especially if you're kind of meeting the need. You know, if you're full on ignoring, well, that's going to extinguish the behavior, but it's also, you know, not necessarily what developmental experts say is best for children. So, yeah, it's... um those, that would be my advice for that parent is make sure you make sure you've got all those things covered in your bedtime routine. Communicate the routine really clearly. Uphold the routine exactly as you said. And then once they're in their bed, stay with them. You don't have to have don't have back and forth conversations, in fact. <laughs> but, you know, sit there, hold the space. It's time for sleep. It's time for sleep. I'm here. I'm here to help, you know, mm. um, until. Yeah, until. So I heard what I heard you say is communicate, uphold the routine, and then really just reassure. Stay if mm-hmm. they Yeah, that's really interesting. It's really, really good. It's really good. And I think, too, um, uh, you know, if your child is asking for one more blanket, one more book, I think, look, we also know, like this particular parent, like she probably knows what her child is going to ask for. So let's let's give it to them already. Like let's already mm-hmm. know and be proactive about it. Like, okay, I know you need this. I know you're going to need this. I know you're going to need this. And I think the knowing and, and, and having that uh, sort of being in charge and um, anticipating your child's needs also lets them relax into you more than if they feel like they have to hustle to get what they need. Right. If you are a hundred percent and said, Hey, if you need another blanket, I'm going to get that for you. And you know what? Tonight's a two book kind of a night. Let's have that tonight. I know you always love an extra book and I'm going to sit here because I know it's hard for you to go to sleep on your own. Yeah. Right. And, and so one of the things that I, I learned and I, and I'd, I'd love to, to hear your thought on this is, um, is, is how long to stay. If, if that's the case. And there is this shudder breath, right? The <sighs> breath and, mm-hmm. and wait for that because you know that they're asleep. Is that, do I have that right? Yeah, I've definitely experienced that. Um, I've had lots of clients say that they've experienced that breath, uh, especially with infants too. Infants yeah. Do that. Um, they'll do it in your arms. You can hear it, you know? Um, yeah. And how long? I mean, there are different things that you can do to get out of the room. You know, like if you're it, and I think that was another one of the questions that you have coming up. So um, now this parent's like, OK, so I'm stuck here. I'm just going to sit right. here until the end of time. <laughs> so, yeah, I well bring my my own pillow in and just fall asleep with my kid. Yeah. But we don't sometimes want- it's necessary. Sometimes. Yeah. But but it, for the most part, we don't want that. So then, yes, the next step is how long do we stay? How can we leave? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I find that with children, especially if they're over two and a half, like you have to base this on your child's 
um, ability to communicate with you. And there's a wide range of, you know, communication abilities in two-year-olds. I would say like my oldest child at two and a half was speaking in full sentences and could tell me tons of stuff of what was going on for him. Whereas my younger child barely had words at two and you know his receptive language took longer to develop and output took longer to develop so you kind of base this on on your child but from two and up I find that kids can be taught to wait for you to come back and check on them so for example like and this is something that I would be be modeling for a couple days before I actually went through with it so like during the day you know, playing games where you hide and look for each other, hide and seek, um, hiding objects around the house that you go and find, um, taking turns putting each other to bed, putting stuffed animals to bed before, um, like, just as playtime, not as not as sleep time, yeah, yeah. Um, but modeling kind of, well, this is what it looks like when you go to sleep and you wait quietly in your bed. Practice, practice quiet waiting. Um, and then with that toddler, you know, in the first example, what I might do after a while of, of sitting beside them to meet that proximity need, maybe a few days later, I might say, you know, hey, at bedtime, I've got some stuff I really need to do. You know, like after I put you to sleep at bedtime, this is where I do X, Y, Z. You know, I do the laundry. I write a book, I don't know, <laughs> whatever you're doing. My business was built in the hours after my kids went to bed. So I get that, like you're definitely um, out the door. So I would communicate that to the child and say like, hey, I've got to do some stuff, um, but I want to make sure that you know that I'm checking on you until you fall asleep. And, and so, you know, we're going to practice tonight quiet waiting and I will come back on and check on you if you're quietly waiting for me. And Usually I would do this kind of as a trial run first of like not talking it up too much and just sort of trying it to see what your, your kiddo does. Like don't put all your eggs in a basket here and hope that it's <laughs> going to forever work. But I would kind of just say like, oh, you know what? I really need to get a tissue. I'll be right back. And just mm -hmm. like kind of go get the tissue and come right back. And then the next night, maybe you're like, oh, I forgot to start the dishwasher. Okay, I'm just going to go start the dishwasher and I'll be right back. And so every time that you come back after a very short time away, kids cannot take a long time of this. And if you, so, okay. <laughs> so if you come back right away, you're restoring that trust, right? Yeah. You're restoring the faith. I'm with um, you. I'm, yeah, I'm going to be there. I'm, gonna, I'm helping you bridge this separation, right? But if you, so, so sometimes when I have families carry this out more formally with their kids, um, you know, perhaps they've done a couple practice runs like that, and now they're telling their child, um, you know, when you go to sleep, I'll be back to check on you in five minutes if you're quietly resting. Um, and when they leave, I actually have them leave for literally five seconds. So they tell their child that they're leaving for five minutes, but the mm -hmm. first time that they leave, they walk out the door, they turn around, they come right back, and they say, good, good, quiet resting, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> my, my first thought was like, well, what if they're not quietly resting, but you're not even giving them a chance to not be quiet. You're just going right back in, right? That's you're awesome. coming right back in. Yeah, and if they do scream, so that's definitely a question people ask me all the time. So um, if they scream, uh, usually I would say you take the lead again. 
you come back in and you say, I see that you're not ready for this. I see that you need to stay close to you. I will stay close with you tonight and we'll try again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And yeah, because like I, I think that there's nothing once you're you probably have heard this saying, but like once you're in a fight with a toddler, you've already lost. <laughs> so it's like you don't want to turn this into a worse situation. Yeah. And we don't realize we're perpetuating the problem, right? Like we don't realize that our reaction is making it worse. I so love that though. Like, okay, it looks like you aren't ready yet. Let's try tomorrow night. I'll stay here now, right? Mm-hmm. But but you're still moving the target. Like you are still going to do it, right? Yeah. Uh, but what if your child screams every single time you leave for five seconds? You know, I find that they that they don't. They don't. So like people say that, um, and it just doesn't really come up very often. Mm-hmm. Um, I have definitely seen people try this uh, before their kid is just cognitively able to handle any kind of separation. Mm-hmm. I have seen people tie it into um, a small kind of like I'm definitely not a rewards based parenting person, and I'm not like, but I have seen people tie it into a small something so for example like um you know what if you're quietly resting i'm going to come back and i'm going to have a little surprise for you mm-hmm. and when they come back they have just like a little paper heart that they've cut out or something like that and then after you you know you keep you bringing the paper hearts in and like tomorrow morning you can count how many that you have um and then when you go to bed at night like the whole thing here is that our kids have to bridge this long separation without us. And so when you go to bed at night, put a stack, like, I don't know, 15, 20 hearts. I'm like, these are the times I checked on you all through the night. Just showing that, you know, you were there to bridge that, that separation. So that just makes me so happy. I love that. That's so sweet. That is so beautiful. Thank you for that. That's really great. Mm -hmm. Um, okay, so, um, you know, I think you've really answered a lot of the questions in what you've said, right? There are, there are parents asking me, like, my child wants me to lay with them, right? Well, you've just really answered that question, right? There's a, there's mm-hmm. a physical and emotional, or there's a, not a physical, an emotional need there. Um, what is Sometimes our- it could be a physical, like, a sensory need, too. So, sure. like, people, I mean, there are, there are, like when we talk about sleep, we don't always talk about the underlying medical issues also that can be preventing sleep from happening. And I think that it's important to talk about that with toddlers and preschoolers, parents, because sometimes they've just been told like, oh, it's it's something you're doing. You know, it's behavioral. Mm-hmm. And at every turn, they're getting that behavioral feedback. And I found some GPs and pediatricians are not necessarily looking under the surface of like, well, um, perhaps this child has insufficient iron or their iron absorption is not happening. Those things can prevent sleep from happening. Um, and then sometimes there's like sensory sensory needs that ha- have not been met. So, you know, one in five kids has a sensory sensitivity. And so if you are aware of what that sensory sensitivity is or sensory processing need is, then you can meet that. Perhaps. What could that be sensory wise? Like sensory wise, um, well, I've worked with kids who who did have sensory processing disorder. Um, and I don't want to say that, you know, if I have a child who has like heightened sensory needs, like he always needs to wear noise canceling headphones when we make mm-hmm. smoothies and he had has needed the the 
tags cut out of his clothes for, you know, the whole seven years of his life and that kind of thing. You know, our kids have these different, these different needs, but for a child that is like sensory processing, um, has an exceptionality with that, they may need a certain type of proprioceptive input in order to sleep well. And so, you know, I have worked with a kid who needed a 20 minute <laughs> deep pressure massage mm-hmm. before bed. Mm-hmm. And as long as he got that deep pressure massage, he slept well. Mm-hmm. If they skipped that, he was just, he wouldn't sleep. Right. He wouldn't sleep. Does well. a weighted blanket help with that? Yeah, for some people it will help. Um, I don't think they're recommended prior to age three. Right. I'd have to go look it up. But um, yeah, for some families, it doesn't hurt to ask. It doesn't hurt to bring it up or or see a pediatric occupational therapist um, to get an opinion. Like, is this something that might be affecting sleep? Yeah, and and when you talk about proprioceptive, um, I, I did talk to um, an OT, Cindy Etzinger, uh, and we did a podcast episode all about why is my kid doing that, which is uh, looking at your child through the eyes of uh, of sensory. <clears throat> and I think uh, I think that's a, that's a really interesting point too. And I I, I honestly didn't know that. Uh, and mm-hmm. I, I also didn't know that low iron meant that it would be harder for kids to go to sleep. And I can I can just picture being in a in a in a doctor's office and having them literally just blow you off. Like nope. Oh, totally. Uh, no problem. You're you're just not doing it right. You don't have a good enough schedule or you a routine or you know you're whatever. And and as a parent, oh. That hurts because we already feel we're doing it all wrong, right? Because for sure. you know, yeah. how to do the world's most important job. And uh, and then when we feel we're not doing it right or things aren't going right, of course we blame ourselves, right? Especially mm-hmm. moms blame ourselves. So mm-hmm. um so that is such valuable information. Thank you for saying that, Lara. Like that is beyond helpful. Um okay, so next question uh is what about kids waking up too early? Yes. Oh, this is a huge, a huge one. You know, um, well, number one, please have blackout curtains in your room. <laughs> I'm, like if that's, I just, I have zero, zero empathy for you, my friends, if you have not invested in a good blackout curtain, because hey, there are, have them. in my house, we have cave-like rooms. They're cold and they are dark and we all have fans. We all have fans to uh, just, yes. You know, white noise it right yeah anyway so there's definitely we need like there is an environmental piece here for sure like you know melatonin is released in the dark and um and so if it's not dark you know your light starts coming in it's going to inhibit the melatonin production from happening and so yeah your child's gonna uh, gonna wake up but when your kiddo is waking up too early there are other things to think about so for babies like if they're uh, an infant or toddler who's waking up way too early, I often find that those parents are putting their child to nap too early. So if you have like a two-year-old that's waking up at five, your natural inclination would be to put them down for a nap at maybe 11 a.m., for example. They're probably losing it by then. (laughs) But what happens when you put your child to nap too early is you actually reinforce the early rising to continue because your child's going to get to continue their nighttime sleep in the in the day so you're not building up the that homeostatic pressure the sleep pressure at the right time for to encourage your child to continue sleeping in later in the morning you're kind of taking away from that when you nap them early so 
with this age, like with a child that was doing this at two, I would probably recommend the family starts to push the nap out closer to noon slowly. So, you know, 11.15 for a few days, regardless of what time the child woke up and then 11.30 for a few days, and then 11.45, and then 12. And you have to give early rising time to change as well. So people are like, oh, I did that for a day. You know, it takes us, when we change time zones, right, it takes time to adjust. It takes, usually within four days, we're on to the new time. But mm-hmm. some children, they're more sensitive, more sensory. Seven to ten days can be the time that it takes, or even longer. so helpful to hear that. I actually, I don't dreaded the 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 time change because it always messed everything up it was just I hated it uh it was never (laughs) for me it was never (laughs) but okay Mm -hmm. that's okay that's fascinating you are so this you are so good at all of this you you know so much I love it okay yeah I was saying earlier like I've just been talking about sleep forever but I I was seriously so obsessed with my own kids sleep like that's just this business was born out of obsession. So I get it. I was definitely the mom too that was like counting every every minute and hour and I was we didn't go to dinners for the first 2 years of our kids lives. We had brunches, you know? <laughs> like yeah, that's smart. Yeah. Yeah. But um the early rising one other thing to think about uh what was I thinking of? Ooh, with toddlers and preschoolers, you definitely want to think through the morning motivation that they have. So what are they getting first thing in the morning? So if it's TV or breast milk or cuddling with you in bed with a bottle, those are highly motivating on the toddler list. You know, they're like, if I woke up and I immediately got my favorite thing, um, I'd be motivated to wake up early too. So I usually would suggest, like for a family that's breastfeeding first thing in the morning, their toddler, their preschooler, um, and cuddling in bed, I would say, no, we're going, you know, go in, get them out of their crib with a banana in your hand, go straight to the high chair, solids first, um, you know, wait a little bit, get the lights on, and then do your breastfeeding in the living room. Just thinking about, and, and TV is a big one. If you're, you know, when you're a tired, exhausted parent, it's like, oh, okay, they're up at five, oh, just throw the TV on, right? And that's incredibly motivating for toddlers to wake up for. Yeah, I have some clients and they're really uh, struggling with their son right now who wakes up and is immediately like he wakes up at five, like he's really early and he's immediately in their face saying like, I need my breakfast now. I need to get, you know, you you guys need to get up now. And he's just little, but he's really, uh, mm-hmm. really assertive. So what what should they do? How old, how old is the child? Do you know? Uh, your head. That's a that's a good I I have to look I th- I want to say he's three or four. Okay yeah, um, yeah that's a that's a tough one. I mean I think that as soon as our children are making demands of us like that, then I don't know if you're familiar with like the idea of like the alpha child or oh, kind of yes, yes. yeah you talk about that often. You talk about the so, in charge um, parent all the time being the in charge parent, which is the alpha child. Yes. Yes, exactly. So, you know, in every attachment relationship, there has to be this hierarchy and the parent has to be in the lead and the child has to be the dependent. And so when your child is demanding of you before you've even gotten out of bed, then they are in charge, right? Then they're getting you to to do whatever behavior it is in response. And then that um, that doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't help your cause. Right. 
And it increases the child's like level of insecurity and kind of alarm, like, okay, I have to tell my parents what, what I need. This is a tough one because I've actually experienced this a lot at my house with my oldest son. And for us, the best thing to do is for me to actually just get up five minutes before I know he gets up. Mm-hmm. So he, but this is not 5 a.m. So like he gets up at 7.15, is demanding of me straight away. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just get up at 7 I lay his breakfast out for him and then we start the day downstairs and it's a much, much happier start to our morning. If I'm in bed at 7.15 and he wakes up, then it's the exact same thing as these parents are describing. Driving the bus, so, yeah. pulling you out yeah. instead of you saying, oh, I already know you're going to be up in a minute, so I'm waking you up. Yeah, and and the reality is is uh, the the family that I talk about uh, was just mm-hmm. talking about. There's there are some there are some emotional needs that he actually needs to be getting met. Uh, I think mm-hmm. during the day, so that that isn't so um, intense in the morning. So I think it's 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 really the combination of more than one thing. Um, mm-hmm. And and yeah, so. It's always more than one thing. It's always like, it's never, I mean, we take so much responsibility in raising our kids up, but it's not all up to us. You know, development is going to come alongside and help you. And there's other people who can help you just like us, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I get that. I I feel for those parents a lot because 5am, I call it the arsenic hour. I just think it's like the worst time to Mm -hmm. see my children. (laughs) no, you're not going to get the best from anybody at 5 a.m., that's for sure. No, that's um, true. I have one last question for you, and uh, and then I think we'll leave it here because, look, I, I actually think we've only scratched the surface, but um, I want to just talk or just ask you about naps really quickly. Um, you know, what if your child isn't napping anymore and you have a child who is three years old and should probably still be napping, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, there, there's, I mean, some children do drop their nap as early as three. It's pretty rare. Um, but sometimes I hear from parents whose kids are dropping their naps at two and two and a half even. And often there is something going on there with like, with limit setting, with boundary setting, with mm-hmm. routine. You know, do we have a really good routine in place or there is this power struggle that's happening? Like I'm forcing you to nap, <laughs> like I'm sticking you in your crib or I'm locking you in your room or whatever it might be. And then the child is really, really upset expressing those tears and there's just not somebody to catch them. Um, and so then you're getting into this every day sort of repeating this cycle. Um, so when a child's not napping at, at in a preschool years I'm I tend to take a more sort of like a more nonchalant approach to it like kind of um I don't care if you sleep or not (laughs) but uh it is quiet time you know we have we have quiet time and with kids who are refusing to go into their cribs or their beds um what I usually would suggest parents do is set up like a cozy corner in the room so like either just get an extra crib mattress and um you know just make it cozy with extra pillows and and like okay this is your special sort of like quiet time spot um have some some books and some songs i have a whole blog post that's dedicated to that like to um starting quiet time with your child Mm -hmm. but maybe we can link that somehow but um 
Well, we're going to link all of your uh, information t- uh, in, in the show notes, and your website is Heavy Eyes, Happy Hearts. You do have blog posts. You also have two courses, and you have courses for parents with children who are 6 to 18 months, and then another one, which is uh, – actually, maybe you're probably better at describing them. Can you tell us what those are? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so, uh, yeah, and I'm trying to think with the quiet time. Oh, yeah, the last thing I want to say just about the quiet time before we head into the courses is just that often when you take the nonchalant approach, they just start falling asleep. It's like, oh, it's not a power struggle. Which but anyway. out elfing your alpha child, which is you being the in-charge parent. Like, I don't care if you sleep or not, but it's quiet time for you and yeah. for me. <laughs> Let's make sure it's you for you, too, as, as a parent. <laughs> so you get a exactly. break. Yes, yeah. yes. And there's definitely ways you can go about that. So we'll link that um, blog up for you. But, yes, the two courses that I offer. So Sleep from the Heart is um, my comprehensive sleep course uh, for parents of children 6 to 18 months. Um, and it really covers, you know, struggling to fall asleep at bedtime, night wakings, um, night weaning. It basically covers everything. Like if you find something in that course that that course doesn't cover, <laughs> let me know. I'll make a video and make sure that it's covered. It's just like six to 18 months. This is your go-to. Um, and then I also offer night weaning for toddlers. Night weaning for toddlers is really breastfeeding, um, chest feeding specific and, uh, for parents of kiddos ages one to, to three, or I have seen people use it up to age four, but when I created it, I was thinking of, you know, up to age three toddlers who are really just addicted, you know, boob happy kids in the middle of the night who, uh, maybe co-sleeping, maybe not. Um, transitioning away from feeding overnight mm-hmm. and parents looking to do that in a way that's not um, that's not cried out that's really emotionally supportive so those are the two courses I offer and then like Robin said there's you know so many different places you can find me <laughs> um, Instagram Facebook yeah. all those places so and yeah come say hi yeah everybody knows where you are uh, and I think that's really great and look the 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 cost for your courses is is inexpensive. We're we're not talking thousands of dollars. It's really only a couple hundred dollars and you can mm-hmm. really like do this for yourself. Like this is an investment in you, but also your connection with your with your kiddos. It it's everything. And starting mm-hmm. with this connection and 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 picking up on their cues and really like paying attention to their needs and their feelings, like that just sets you up for the rest of your relationship with your kids. Like that's just everything. Mm. And to start it early instead of being frantic and stressed and then angry and resentful, you know, you can really just say, oh, you just need this. Like it warms my heart to say like, they just miss us. They just need us. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, oh, okay. You know, I can do that for you. I can do that for you. I love you. And I had you for a reason. And this is what I signed up for, even though it's harder than I ever knew it would be. But you know, there is a help out there. And there are solutions. You don't need to white knuckle it. You don't need to, to, to stress out. Please help. And Lara, you are so knowledgeable. Thank you so much for this. I think, I know I got a ton out of this. I know that the people listening will also get a ton out of this. So thank you so much. So it's heavy eyes, happy hearts, sleep consulting. I know, it's it's a mouthful. (laughs) No, it's all good. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. 
Thank you for listening to this edition of my podcast, Parenting Our Future. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon, and if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And don't forget to subscribe, and if you like my work, I'd be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating. For those of you who like my content and want more, visit me at yellingcurebook.com to get your copy of my book and to find other resources to help you. Until next time, I am wishing you and your family peace and connection.